Well, if you're new here today, like I said earlier, my name is Pastor Zach, and we are currently in a series called Life Together, and we're actually going to wrap it up this morning. And what we've been talking about is what does it look like to be in a healthy family? What does it look like to not only allow church to be something that is just something we regularly attend or worship songs that we sing or a message that we hear, but what does it look like to be actively engaged into a family? So before we wrap it all up this, um, this morning, can we just go ahead and pray? Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning that you want to speak with us, that you want to meet with us. But God, that most importantly, God, that the words that we hear from your scriptures, God, would not just be something that goes in one ear and out the other. God, that we would walk out of here truly changed, that we would encounter you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, we're going to wrap it up this week with a topic that I believe most of us are searching for. Um, that I believe, if we have it, that our church and our families will function very smoothly. And I think it's something that every single day, whether you realize it or you don't realize it or not, that we are looking for. And what I want to talk about today is a small word called joy. Um, I think it's something that all of us are constantly searching for. We wake up in the morning, and I think from the moment that we step out of bed to the moment that our, our feet hit the floor, we're thinking about joy. Let me give you an example. Um, um, when you get out of the morning, any, anybody in here, you're just not a morning person. Like, you are clutching for the coffee. You're just like, give me something to drink, like, warm in my body to wake me up. So from that very moment, that very first thing you're thinking about, I need something that gives me that wake up, right? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 16, um, chapter 22. And I'm going to do something that I don't normally do this morning. I'm going to use that scripture pretty much for the basis of our entire message uh, this morning. And it says this, You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one, I want you to hear these words, no one will take your joy from you. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will will take your joy from you. I want you to leave this morning with those words ringing in your ear, that no one will take your joy. And I'm going to spend some time explaining that. But if you're like me, you're you're hearing those words, you're reading the scripture, and, and Jesus is saying, no one will take your joy away from you. And we live in such a broken and shattered world that such a claim, that such a statement just doesn't seem like it could ever be possible, right? How can Jesus make such a statement in such a broken world? How can Jesus make such a statement when we've got all the Middle East, we've got ISIS going on, we've got terrorists? How can Jesus make such a statement when things are going horribly wrong in your personal life? Let me give you an example. Um, How can Jesus make such a statement for me three years ago? I'm sitting um, in Baton Rouge at a job, and uh, I get a phone call from my mom, and she says, Hey, I don't know how to tell you this, um, but your dad has cancer. And it was just something that, like, in that moment, it's just like, you ever been in those moments where you feel like time just kind of stands still? And you kind of think about eternity, like, man, what would life be like without my dad? You start to think about that. Um, So how can Jesus make such a statement in, in tragic situations like that? How can Jesus make such a statement when maybe you're going through a situation financially right now, maybe your house is being foreclosed on? Or how can Jesus make such a statement 
when uh, maybe you've tried to have kids for years and you've been begging Jesus, I just want a child, and it just doesn't happen. How can Jesus make such a statement in such a dark world? Here's what I know, is we plan, we save, we work hard, we build things to be successful, but there's one thing that is for sure in life, is that life is not sure. There's one thing that is for sure in life, that life is not sure. One thing for sure is that all of us in here are very fragile, including myself. Um, in James 4, verse 13 through 15, it says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. And I love this. It says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now this is why Jesus' statement is so important. When he says, no one can take your joy from you. Life is very, very, very fragile. Especially when you're going about your life like you have for me. It was about for 25 years going about my life like I have. And I get that phone call and it seems like everything changes. Right? Um, two years ago, many of you have heard the story. Maybe I know some of you came out to the Color for a Cure race and, and stuff like that. But uh, for Pastor Josh and Miss Lindsay, their son who's dealing with just a, a life-threatening disease. There's no cure. Um, two years ago, they're, they're, they're in Oklahoma City celebrating Christmas and... Um, their son, Joel, who's now four years old at the time, he was two, he was just very lethargic, laying on the couch, wasn't really moving, they thought he was sick. They come back, um, drive all the way back to, to Jennings, to which where they live, and uh, he's walking up the sidewalk, and he can't even make it to the door without almost passing out. So from that day, I get a phone call from Pastor Josh saying, hey, you know, pray for me, we're going to the hospital, we think he may have had an asthma attack or something like that. Get to the hospital, I get a phone call from Pastor Josh, and he can barely speak. His whole world has just been turned upside down. And basically say, look, your son has pulmonary hypertension and there's no cure. And he probably has six months. Life is very, very, very fragile. In a moment, your entire life can change. I could give you countless story after story after story. So, this statement where Jesus says, no one can take your joy from you. I want to unpack it. And, and really talk about what Jesus is really saying here. And I want to look at the words to make sure that we are actually understanding Scripture right. Um, so to give you a little context, I'm going to read um, in verse, John chapter 16, verse 16, just to kind of explain what's going on before Jesus actually makes that statement. Now, Jesus is about to be crucified, and he knows that his death is about to come. He knows that he is about to be hung on a cross. He knows that it's going to be miserable. He knows that he's going to go through extensive agony. He knows it's going to be painful. He even says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, God, if you can allow this cup to pass from me, please do it. He knows what he's about to endure. And he says this to his disciples. He says, a little while you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. Now, here's what the disciples do. They're going, what does that mean? Ever read scripture and you're like, I don't get it. That's kind of how the disciples are in this moment. Jesus says this, this phrase, like, in a little while you'll see me, and in a little while you will. I, I'm so confused, I don't get it. So he goes on to explain a little bit in John 16. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And Jesus is obviously referring to his death when they will feel great pain when he leaves those, those three days that he's gone. 
And then they will feel great joy when they see him return. And Jesus actually uses this um, analogy in scripture of childbirth. And he says, basically what you're going to experience is this. He says, you know, when you're delivering a child, it's just painful. And every woman in here that has had multiple kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's painful. But I've, I've seen my wife give birth to all four of our, our kids, and there's, there's great stress, there's great agony in this moment, but then something beautiful happens in the midst of all this pain, in the midst of all this toil, in the midst of nine months of backaches and heartburn and all this stuff, in a moment, it instantly changes. When that doctor comes and they take that baby and they put it on their chest, and instantly everything changes. There's just immense joy where there was immense just pain and all this, this agony going on to birth this child. And that's what Jesus says. He says, in a little while, you won't see me. I'm going to be gone for a little while. I've got to handle some things. And then I'm going to come back and you're going to experience much joy. So, when we come to verse 22, which is the point of this entire message, we know that Jesus has his death and his resurrection in mind when he says... No one can take your joy from you. So here are two reasons why Jesus can make such a claim. Here are two reasons why Jesus can say, no one can take your joy from you. And I'm going to say them, and then I'm going to do a good bit of explaining to, to kind of hit my point home. Number one, the resurrection means Jesus will never die. What does that mean? Meaning this, that it's obvious through Scripture that we killed Jesus, our sins put him, hung him on that cross, and then he proved that even death could not hold him down. So here's the deal. No one can take your joy away from you because no one can take your source. Jesus is joy. And Jesus cannot die. So if Jesus is a source that is everlasting, that is never ending, no one can take that joy from you. In verse 22, he also says, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Now, I want you to understand something. This is great news for people that love Jesus. But it's not a guarantee for people that don't. What it is, is an invitation to say, hey, there's this great news. That, that, that pain, that sorrow, that guilt, that agony, that shame that you feel... It can all be removed, and you can have an everlasting source of joy if you surrender and submit yourself to Jesus. See, if you don't enjoy Jesus, your joy will be taken away from you, because you have no source. If Jesus is the source of joy, and you do not enjoy Jesus, and you do not know Jesus, then you have no source of joy. The only joy that can be taken away is a joy that is false. The only joy that can be taken away is a joy that is found, that is wrapped up in things of this world. So here's the deal. If we don't have joy from spending time, from being with Jesus, what we have is very fragile and it's very weak. And let me give you a perfect example of this. Um, there was a lady that I know... She's, she always kind of had this relationship with Jesus. And uh, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying it was good. It was just kind of, you know, even kill. And, um, 
One day, her husband gets on a road traveling on the interstate, and the guy on the opposite side, it's a 95-year-old man, has a heart attack, dies in his car, crosses the median, jumps the ramp of the thing, and this lady's husband is driving, and the car just lands on top of his car, kills him instantly. Now, for the next about three to four years, this, this lady's life was just wrecked, which I think there's much reason for that. I mean, you lose the person that you've been with for 25, 30 years. I mean, there's a, a great piece of you that is gone. But, but here's what happens in that. Instead of going to Jesus, who is her source, in that she begins to harbor and get angry and get mad, at God and, and starts to question and starts to ask all these things because really what was happening is Jesus was not the source of her joy. And so when tragedy strikes, it really reveals who we really are. So I want to give you another example. Um, there was a guy, he was a, he was a German theologian pastor, and his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And at the age of 39, Adolf Hitler actually put him to death 23 days before Hitler killed himself and the Nazis surrendered to the Americans. Now, why is this important? This is important because um, Hitler, actually, we all know, if you know history, you know he was a very powerful man, a very scary man to be around. And there wasn't too many people that he actually feared, except for Bonhoeffer. This is what happened. As Bonhoeffer kind of took on this mentality of I don't care what Adolf Hitler says that I can or I cannot do. I'm going to preach Jesus no matter what it costs me. So he starts sitting down with all these guys, sharing the gospel, and they're spreading like wildfire all over Germany. And so Hitler starts to shut these churches down. Um, Bonhoeffer is actually in the middle of a radio broadcast at one point, and he starts talking about Jesus. In the middle of the broadcast, Hitler cuts the broadcast. So he throws Bonhoeffer in jail. He's, he's furious. He's angry because he sees what Christianity is doing to Germany. And it's changing. And here's what's going on. This is what just blows my mind about men like this. Is they knew where their joy came from. Okay, so imagine this. This guy, he's 39 years old. He's got a lot of his life ahead of him. Okay, it, it, he's still very young. He's recently, before he had just got thrown in jail, 15 days before he gets thrown in jail, he gets engaged. Gets thrown in jail, gets thrown in prison, and you would think he's at the most miserable spot of his entire life. In which, in many ways, he writes of the agony of being in jail or being in prison. I'm not saying it wasn't painful or miserable. But this is what happens. In the middle of this, in jail... Bonhoeffer is training students underground and writing letters to his disciples, reminding them that no one can take their joy from them, no matter what circumstance. And this is, this is probably one of my um, favorite things that Bonhoeffer ever said. He said, the joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. That is why it is invincible and irrevocable. It does not deny the pain when it is there, but finds God in the midst of it. That's true joy, isn't it? That when you are suffering, when you are going through trial, that when you are going through difficulty and hardship, that in the middle of it, you can find Jesus. 
that in the middle of it, you can still say, like, God, you are my source, you are my joy. He continues, it does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but it finds life precisely within it. What matters is this joy that has overcome. It alone is credible. It alone helps. And it alone heals. That's true joy. That's true joy. So, so here's the deal. We've got to understand that if Christ promises everlasting joy for those who are called according to his purpose, which is Romans 8, why do we still feel pain and discontentment? Why do we read a scripture that says, no one will take our joy away from you, but yet we wake up every single morning and it seems like that's all the world is trying to do? Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Psalms 34.10 says this, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So God promises those who seek him will lack no good thing, such as joy. Which means if something is good, God will give it to you. <coughs> if something is good, God will give it to you. Now, I know that's hard to swallow because after all, some of you are still sick. Some of you are still unhealthy. Some of you are still unemployed or childless or single. So how is God fulfilling his promises to you? How is God giving you good? So now we've got to go a step further. Who defines what is good? Us or God? Who defines what is good? Because all throughout Scripture, we see that the greatest good that we could ever have is God himself. Not what we possess, not what we hold on to. The greatest good that we could have is God himself. So let me give you an example. Healing can be good... But so can lack of healing. I know that's a controversial statement. Healing can be good, but so can lack of healing. And let me prove it to you. Being healed of sickness can be good since it can bring us more of God by showing us his power. You were once sick. You were once in a state of going, God, I need your healing. I need your help. And God heals you miraculously. Or not being healed can also be good since it too can bring us more of God by bringing us even more near to him. Now, I'm not saying if, if you're sick or you're battling with something that you just give up and say, okay, well, Pastor Dex said I don't need to be healed. That's not what I'm saying. But we continually ask for that. Continually go, God, I trust and I believe that you're going to heal me. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. Even if he doesn't, he's still trying to show us something. Even if he doesn't, he's still pursuing us and loving us and he wants us to know that he is good. Even if he doesn't, he still has good and our joy in mind. Paul experienced this in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians he said, but he said to me, and this is, and let me give you a little background before I read this. Paul is basically dealing with some kind of, uh, some sickness or ailment or pain. We don't know what it is. Scripture never says. Paul labels it as the thorn in his flesh. And he says, God, I know you can. Can you please take this away from me? And this is God's reply. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And this is Paul's reply. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's joy. 
That's joy. Joy is when you can go into situations or when you are battling with certain situations and say, if God does, but even if he doesn't, he's still good. If God does, but even if he doesn't, he's still my source. So when God promises that we will lack no good thing, he means we will lack nothing, nothing that will bring us more of himself. Here's what God is always going to be after for the rest of your life. He's always going to want to make you more like himself. So the good that he is going to bring you is always going to be something that is going to bring something out of you to be more like him. So you may see a situation and go, God, why am I battling with this? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I dealing with this? My encouragement to you would be stop asking the question and just surrender and say, God, okay, you got me. What are you trying to teach me? And I'm going to surrender and submit to you, even though it doesn't feel good right now. So if you lack a job, or if you're single, you lack a wife, or a husband, you're not lacking anything good. God has ordained this to bring you more of himself. And I'm not saying that God will never give you those things. Maybe the reason he hasn't given it to you yet because he wants you to continually pursue him more. So that when you actually get it, it's the best that he can give you. Anybody in here, I know, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, do you remember the high of like getting a toy in a happy meal? <laughs> Anybody remember that? Like my, I see it now and I see that in my kids. Like we go to McDonald's or, or, or Burger King or something and like, Dad, what toy did I get? I don't know, some 15-cent piece of junk. Why do you care anyway? But it's like this hive of, of getting this new toy. And then, then what happens? Like, two days later, it's broken, it's destroyed, it doesn't last, and they're all sad and depressed. And what happens? The next time we go back to McDonald's, they want a new toy all over again, right? And it's just this repeating process. Here's what I want for all of us in here, is that that doesn't look like our life. That we're not taking it into our own hands and saying, I need to be happy now. We're just grabbing things. They may be good things, but they're not God's best. They may feel good, and they may seem good in the moment. In that, in that moment, you may be hurting. In that moment, you think that you, man, okay, God, it's been five years. I haven't had a date yet. I'm just going to go get one. Or whatever it is, God's saying, hold on, slow down, be patient. What I'm bringing you is going to be better than you could ever imagine. So if you feel like your joy is fading because you think you lack good things, there may be a problem with our faith. There may be a problem in us trusting in who God actually says he is. He says, I am the source of joy. You want to be satisfied? Come to me. Scripture says that all those who are burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. You want joy? Come to me. Jesus plus nothing equals joy. Jesus plus nothing. Okay? It, it, it doesn't mean like Jesus plus come to church more. 
It doesn't mean Jesus plus get baptized. It doesn't mean Jesus plus speaking. It, Jesus plus nothing equals joy. There are all these great things within Christianity that we do. Do, do we believe in baptism? Of course. Do we believe in those things? Of course we do. But those are all symbols. We need the source, which is Jesus. Number two. The resurrection means you will never die. No one will take your joy from you because your joy comes from being with Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus means you will never die, you will never be cut off. So two things have to be true if your joy is to never be taken from you. Number one, the source of joy lasts forever, which is Jesus. And number two, you last forever. And some of you may say, well, that's not true, Pastor Zach, we die. In one sense, this physical body leaves this earth. Christ is eternal and so is your soul. Christ is eternal and so is your soul. Which is why every decision you make is so important because ultimately it affects eternity. So if your source of joy is mortal, meaning your source of joy is here on this earth, what you've built and what you've accomplished and what you've achieved, if, if you find joy in that or how much money you have in the bank or um, what relationship that you're in or whatever, what degree you can get, if that is your source of joy, one day it will fade. If your joy is earthly pleasures, they will be burnt up. How many people center their lives around pursuing a false sense of joy? I find myself doing it all the time. I'll be honest with you. Can, can I be really just brutally honest with you? Uh, this is a look into my soul, okay? I'm driving here this morning, and, uh, you know, at heart, I'm a, I'm a very, uh, I tell this to my wife all the time, and my wife helps me out a lot, but I'm just a weird kind of creative person that likes weird things sometimes, and, like, I'll like certain things in my life, like, baby, don't ever wear that. I'm like, why? But it's like, you know, it's cool. Don't don't worry about it. Um, or whatever. I'm I'm an artistic kind of person, and so I think that way. So I'm driving up here this morning, and I'm listening to uh, it's just some instrumental music, some violins, just some weird stuff. Okay, most of you are probably be like, "What is this guy doing?" Um, so I'm listening to this, and I'm just going, I'm sitting in my car, going, "God, just just speak to me." And I really start hearing God speak to me about some things in my own life. And you ever have that thing where you're like, God, speak to me. And then all of a sudden you're kind of like, God, please stop. <laughs> just please stop. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to obey any of this. It's just hard. Yeah, let me go back to just what I was doing. And that's what happens. And I'll tell you what God was speaking to me. God was speaking to me saying, Zach, there's too much distraction in your life. There's too much distraction in your life. And let me let me give you a for example, and I know I've hammered this on on the head a few times, and some of you probably think I was anti-social media, and I think it's probably really something that God's always doing in me first. But I just find myself wasting so much time with things that don't really matter, and, and then coming back at the end of the day and going, "Man, why do I feel dissatisfied? Why do I feel like, you know, why why, why do I feel this way? Man, I." I have the greatest news on, on, on the planet. Like, I should be full of joy. And why, why don't I? And, and I find 
that I allow myself, if I'm not careful, to be too distracted with where, to a place where I never have to think about the depths of my heart. And I find that's what our culture is very, very good at. Is we're very good at keeping ourselves busy so we never have to think about what's going on right here. You ever notice that? So it's why, like, you know, it's why some women, they, they, they may stay at home, but they're constantly doing their Pinterest, you know, like, they're pinning things all the time, and they're building things, and they're crafting things, and they're trying to be mother of the year, and then they're exhausted. Or, or maybe you're building a business, and, you know, you don't take time to rest. You know what I find? Like, this is, not a, uh, this is not a suggestion. This is actually a command that God gives all of us. Work six days and take a day off. Like, take a day off to declutter. Take a day off to unplug. Take a day off to actually think about, God, what's going on right here in my heart that needs to change? Like, if you find yourself dissatisfied or disillusioned or disarrayed or whatever it is, are you taking time throughout your week to ask God, what is it? Why do I feel this way? Because if we're not careful, our joy can be based off not Jesus, but our emotions and how we feel in that moment. And emotions can be a very dangerous thing. Never trust them. Because they can lead you places you don't really want to go. Here's the greatest news in the world. John 11, 25-26. I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, listen to this, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. <coughs> so two great reasons no one will take your joy from you. I said it earlier. That Jesus is our source and he will never die. And you will never die because our souls are eternal. Joy in being with Jesus is an unbroken line from now to eternity. It can never be cut off. So whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you've come from, if Jesus is not your source, if he's not your joy, then this morning he wants to be. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. I want this to ring in your ears this morning. That when you walk out of here, you understand that Jesus is saying, you will see me again one day. But I want you to know that if I am your source, no one can take that away from you. No one can take your joy away from you. I am your source. I am your joy. Come to me. If you're burdened, if you're heavy, if, if, you, if, if you just got so much going on that you don't know what to do, Come to him. Here's the thing that we get caught up in too often. That in order for us to come to Jesus, we've got to try to clean our own slate on our own of going, okay, God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to try to get this in order, and now I can finally go to church. Or now I can finally ask God to kind of help me because I'm trying to clean myself up. It doesn't work. 
Jesus says, I don't care how broken, how disgusted you may think you are right now, how weary, how tired, how much stuff you've gotten yourself into, how far you've dug the hole. It doesn't matter. I want you right now. Right now. The most important thing, well, the few most important things in life is not that within the church context, it's not that you attend church regularly. It's not that you get to check off all the to-do lists. It's that you get connected, you get involved into a family, you recognize Jesus as the source of joy, you get open with other people. And then here's the key. Just obey what he's convicting you to do. Just obey because here's the thing. Learning to have a relationship with Jesus, there's a lot of, uh, of testing that you're going to go through. Some of you may sit here this morning and say, well, how do I know if I've heard from God? Is there something going on here? Maybe when you walk in these doors, maybe when uh, you know we're singing a song and you're reading those words on the screen or when we're preaching or whatever it is, is there something going on here that says, maybe I need to change this? Walk out of these doors and make a decision to say, okay, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. The only way that you find out if you're searching and if you're testing and if you're looking to see if Jesus is what you need and if he's what you want is to push all your chips on the table and to say, all right, I'm all in. Let's go. Let's go. So I end with this. Wherever you're at, whatever you've been through, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, whatever you've been through, whatever you're walking through right now, no matter how low that you think you've gone on the totem pole, Jesus is calling you home. He's calling you to be a part of a family. First and foremost, His family. And he wants you to get plugged in to a church where you can be open, you can be real about what's going on in the depths of your heart. It may be painful, it may be hard, maybe churches have hurt you, but Jesus never has. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that this morning, God, that we can learn that you are the source of joy. God, no matter what we've walked through, no matter what we've been through, God, we pray that we would surrender and submit our will to yours. God, we pray that this morning that it would be so much more than a message, it would be so much more than words that we listen to. God, there would be your spirit speaking to us and guiding us and leading us and teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.